0: Welcome to Economically Speaking, the information podcast designed to bring you the latest economic development news in the town and the surrounding area, hosted by Babylon IDA CEO, Tom Dolan.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. And welcome to another episode. I think it's episode eight of Economically Speaking. I'm here today with Mark and Dylan Perlman, father, son, owner's operators of the Argyle Theater uh, located right here in Babylon Village in the town of Babylon. How you doing, guys? Great.
0: We're doing well. Nice to see you, Tom. It's been a while. Yeah, no,
1: same here. Uh, I know we go back a little bit as far as we had an opportunity. We were just kind of chuckling, telling a couple of stories prior to coming on. But um, just for the purposes of today, why don't we just get started and maybe you guys can just tell our listening audience a little bit about yourselves and a little bit about your background and then we'll get into things
2: Absolutely. Um, so I'm Dylan Proman, the son of the father-son team here <laughs> with, uh, the right. with the deep voice, right? The deep voice. I'll modulate back and forth, but uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we we have we have now been the owners, operators of the Argyle Theater for for several years. Obviously, the last year and four months has been quite a challenge sure, for us, sure. dealing with the pandemic and all of the associated devastation caused by it. But, obviously, we go back quite a ways yep. from when we were first developing the project, getting it off the ground, acquiring the old movie theater here on Main Street. What's quite a ways? <laughs> Six years, it? I'd say. Six years. Yeah. Six years. 2015, when we were in the process of, of acquiring the property. And, right. And we're right. right across the street from the IDA here. That's right. On Main Street. The Babylon IDA was, was really there with us from the beginning, helping us along the way in terms of getting the project off the ground? I'm actually going to answer the question. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. It's
1: just, what is Wait, and that's
2: going to be one of my
1: questions later.
0: What's it like having a family-owned business? There here you we'll go. We'll get to that.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> the,
0: the background. I was going to give him the opportunity to speak about himself a little bit first. But uh, basically, Dylan was a, a child actor. And he was the impetus and the, the creative uh, vision uh, of the theater. And he came to me probably was almost 10 years ago when he was still... A, you know, he was barely in puberty. I, puberty. <laughs> I was well past it, folks. <laughs> um, with that deep voice. Anyway, he, uh, we talked about it and he said, you know, there's a, a ton of local theaters out in the island and there's, uh, you know, there's some things maybe we might want to look into, maybe something we might want to do about uh, opening a theater. And I said, is, are you serious? This is a little, little much. I'm, I'm working a long time as a school psychologist in Valley, right, Stream, right. Valley Stream South High School. The timing was such that I was getting near retirement from the school. I did maintain and still have maintained a private practice in psychology in Wantaw in a group practice and did a lot of work this past year and a half because there was a lot of sure. need and I had the time. But at that time, uh, once I knew I was going to retire from the school, I said, okay, you know what? This will be kind of fun and exciting. If it ever happens, you know, we'll see. But it'll be fun to be with my son searching for locations and seeing if we can make this happen. And then there was one day I was like, holy crap, we're, we're actually making an offer a bid on a building. Yeah. And what happened? Well, obviously, it was a very long process. From ten years ago, when
2: when we first discussed it and first had this inkling of an idea of of maybe one day right. having a theater on Long Island, and uh, we went through a lot of different potential locations, a lot of different structures, from dilapidated warehouses to uh, you know other old movie theater spaces on Long Island, some old banks, really, all different yeah. kind of spaces. Eventually, in 2014, when the movie theater here in Babylon Village closed, after I think it was 90, 91 or 92 years in, in operation, it, it clicked for us because the location, the building itself, the structural integrity, all of the things that by that time we were looking for sure. in a facility, it all clicked at once. Being in such a beautiful
0: downtown, mm. it really checked all the boxes. And yeah. one of the things we did we really didn't know Babylon Village very well. He knew a little better than I did. But, right. but, I mean, I knew Lily Flanagan's and I didn't even realize it was Babylon Village. So, we started to come here on weekends. We started to walk around during the day. We started to go into shops. We had dinner or, or lunch or whatever and, and just started to get a feel for the village itself. And that's what was pushing us forward, I guess, yeah. uh, to where we decided, you know, we're going to speak to the municipalities. And everything
2: we saw kept confirming for us. Okay, this is the real deal. This this is the spot. This is the place. I mean, we we would One come and railroads. we we were counting parking spots. Yeah. Seriously, we were we were walking around the village on weeknights, on uh, weekend days, weekend nights, counting parking spots and seeing. Okay, where? How is this going to work? Yeah. And and visualizing. Okay, when we're up and running, we're going to get there. When we're up and running, what is it going to look like? What is it going to do for the fabric of the village here? And yeah. and. That was, I think, on the forefront of our minds throughout.
0: Right. Also, the yes. fact that Long Island Railroad five minutes away was basically a lifesaver because we have a tremendous amount of talent coming in from all over the place, right. particularly from North Long uh, from New York City and the boroughs, and it's just a simple ride for them to get here. And we knew that they would also love the village. So right. there was lots of energy. The other thing that we did that we learned from previous experience that we didn't do properly in the past. Was this time we met with the mayor, we met with the board. We, started to, we wanted them to know us, to begin to understand our vision, to trust us, because we knew we needed their support. Sure. And that was something that was uh, developed definitely over a year. Mayor Scordino was one of our um, staunchest allies and supporters, and may his uh, soul rest in peace, because uh, we're going to miss him greatly. Uh, we loved having him yeah. in the theater. And uh, he was instrumental. Really
2: instrumental in in getting this project off the ground.
1: That building, like you said, it sat there for a while and historic, beautiful building. You guys, and we'll get into that a little bit too, the work you did there and what we see today is uh, tremendous. And uh, I was kidding with Dylan before we started. (laughs) Taking walks over there and like the place would be like, but here's what I would say, like as you're both speaking now, talking about that vision you had, that's what was exciting you. You know, we walked in as laymen, looking around, I'm like, they don't have seats, they don't have a <laughs> stage. I'm kidding. But it was like, but you guys were excited because it was a vision, it's a passion, it's and you see it, it comes out and you. And uh, anybody you get a chance to go there, that, that is something that you do get when you go into the theater. How did you decide exactly what each role, each one of you
0: would play, and, and well, what did that evolve? Okay, is okay, it, it's a great question. Yeah, well, and, it totally evolved, and continuing to evolve to this day. In the right. beginning, the renovations took a year and a half, right. so there were issues having to do with renovations and we had an amazing team. Mario Vergara was our architect who's involved, done a lot of uh, theater renovation, and Tom Dill, um, what's it, t and uh, Theater Construction, he was our main man, he was with us from the beginning, and he was intricately involved in everything having to do with the renovation. And then the other piece was the lending, getting an institution to work with us wasn't the simplest thing to do because we were a startup in that regard. Sure. I had, a bank said to me, if you're starting a psycho- another psychology practice, oh, I'll happily give you a loan and I'll give you a great rate. But theater? Right.
2: I said, well, my son's an actor. He knows this, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, we hear that one. all day long. Yeah. But it's, look, it's, it's inherently something that has a greater degree of risk right. than your average business out there. Uh, and, and couple that. You <laughs> found that out. Yeah, yes, yes, yes right. seriously. And, and couple that with how important of a project it was being in the community it was in the, in the or is the vacant building that it was. Sure. It, it was a community development project. It was an economic development project. Absolutely. And we knew that the conversations with the board, the conversations with Mayor Scordino at the time, the conversations with the Babylon IDA right here, it, it was very important. It, if it were to be a cultural hub an economic engine a an institution that we could build and really enhance the community that
0: we're in and sure. that's Babylon village here it's the town of Babylon and it's it's really Long Island yeah what I remember how moved I was when you guys were, you know showed an interest in us I didn't even know what an IDA was I ashamed to say that because I'm no youngster but it was so validating for us sure that you guys had the belief in us bef- because again as you said, all we had were renderings. We didn't really have, you know, we had this vision, both, you know, an actual vision in our head and a conceptual vision of the theater. Right. And there were some really central decisions that had to be made that we changed for the better, I believe, uh, having to do with renovations. I'd like you to jump in on that a bit with what we did with the, uh, the stage and everything in the pit.
2: Well, when we, were, why. when we were visualizing what the renovations would be, right? We have this existing movie theater at the time... Just going back in the history a little bit, it was built in 1921. At the time it was built, it was one single theater with an orchestra section and a balcony section. It was used for vaudeville early on. It was used for film. And it operated consistently, other than some fires in the 40s and 50s, uh, until in the early 80s, I believe it was, that they... They carved up the theater, yeah. and they carved yeah. it up into, into a three-screen movie theater to attempt to compete with the multiplexes that were sprouting all over the island. Right. So when we came in, we, we saw this three-screen movie theater, but we knew that it had initially been built as a, as a single theater. And so you could visualize or attempt to visualize, okay, what will this look like once we tear all these walls down and we build out a stage? And it was a, obviously a very intensive process, and, and you yeah. saw it. Oh, yeah. A gigantic portion of the theater from where the screens were on, on, I guess, the rear side of the building forward had to be totally torn up so that we could build our backstage area, our stage area, and one of the most intensive parts of the renovation, actually, was excavating the orchestra pit. Yeah. And, and that took a few months to, cool, to really... We dug out an orchestra pit, and, yeah. and, and we went from flat ground to this, this big, spacious, beautiful orchestra pit that our musicians are thrilled to play in, and it really gives this tremendous sense of legitimacy to the theater as a top-notch professional theater that is putting out Broadway caliber productions. The stage itself had to be very structurally sound, obviously, and then backstage, we built a three-story structure. I'd seen that. Yeah, it's a three-story structure with dressing rooms. We have uh, bathrooms and showers. We have a wardrobe room. We have storage, washer, and, and a washer and dryer. And a lot of it we we built with the uh, with the thought that okay, we're going to be putting on professional productions. We're going to be bringing in actors from Actors Equity, the, the union for for stage actors. And we want to we have one shot at building this. Once you put it up there, maybe you're able to do some renovations, but You're not able to do anything structurally again. It's not happening. So we had to pay very close attention to detail and work closely, obviously, with our architect, with our contractor, uh, and some of our consultants at the time who ended up coming aboard as staff members who
0: have tremendous experience in the theater world, in theater industry. So one of the things that Dill mentioned was the orchestra pit. And it was not originally something we were planning to do. It was extensive. It was four months. It was extremely costly. But what happened was, as we were going along with the renovations, as we were getting to know the village and personnel better and better, the realization was for this theater not to have an orchestra pit and to give it the best possible uh, venue to the community as we could. And as as Dylan said, we really knew we only had the one shot. We said, this community deserves a top-notch theater. And that coupled with our sound system, which I, I usually I don't brag about things, but I've been to enough other concert halls, and uh, I believe our sound system is second to none. Almost every single rock band that comes and plays a concert, which we do sporadically in between shows, they are incredulous at how, how amazing the sound system is, um, and the sound engineer, by the way, who oversees it. It's funny, one of the
2: very early Newsday interviews uh, when we were first, really first, beginning, I, I think, to renovate the theater and it was getting out there, what we were doing, I was quoted as saying, we're looking to, and we're aiming to create the closest possible thing to a Broadway experience that one can find on Long Island. And I got a little bit of flack for that, because we have some unbelievable venues on Long Island. Right. And, and I, it really, it wasn't a dig at any other venue, because we have incredible culture and incredible venues in the island. Sure, sure. My sure. point was our goal is right. to create the closest right. thing possible and right. and that's been the mission ever since and really putting out the most top-notch performances we can with state of the art lighting, sound systems and and the other part of it is in terms of uh, I know the question was, what roles do we play? <laughs> it, it ends... That's okay. And that, by the way, I said... We, we, just, again, we, we just We roll. may go off roles We just roll. <laughs> but, but it ends up, it really ends up being everything because sure. it's, it's your baby. And and on top of the production quality, which the best thing we ever hear is when when somebody walks out of the show for the first time and says, oh my God, I cannot believe that I just saw that. Right, you know, that's right. just Broadway. It Broadway. You know, and at this point... I don't wanna say we take it for granted, but we know the the kind of show that they're gonna see. But it never gets old seeing that look on someone's face. But on top of the production quality, in terms of our staff, our front of house staff, our box office staff, treat people like family. Because from the moment somebody calls the box office or walks into the door, I want them to feel welcomed. I want them to feel that they are really a part of the family, a part of the community here. I know a lot of places you go, whether it's in the city or wherever it may be, whether it's a corporate feeling, we we want people to feel at home at sure. the
0: Argyle Theater. Well, what's interesting is most yeah. performances, most shows. One of one of us, if not all three of us, or sometimes four with Evan, our artistic director, we'll go on stage and we'll introduce the show. We'll tell what's coming up. We may schmooze with the audience a little bit and just you know just tell them some things that, that are happening. And most people really seem to appreciate it. There's a couple that say, I eh, get the show. I don't we, don't we don't need to hear these guys. Yeah, yeah. But our thought was. Although we are not we're, tech, we're a professional theater, we want the community feel, and we want to be able to be accessible to our patrons and to listen to our patrons and um, be uh, attentive to them. Yeah. So, so that that was a big part of it. As far as roles, I would say when it comes down to decision making, it's going to be us that are making those decisions. Right. So, although we don't do the casting, we put our faith in a wonderful casting director, Michael Cassara, Broadway casting director. The, the, the That's team building. The team building. Incredibly important
2: and that continuously evolves and look in any organization in any business and any sure, any government sure. organization whatever it may be right. Having the right team in place is so key Absolutely.
0: because if you can have the right people who are competent who you can trust Well, I think we, we need to talk about Evan Pappas Of course because he's intricately involved in, in all the decisions creative so that for instance the shows that we pick we, we all sit down together and we bang it around. It's almost like a baseball, or f- football, fantasy football, or right, something, right, Because we and we've learned a great deal since the first year. We took too many risks in the first year and things that have amazing shows, but the, you know the general population wasn't ready for them or just wasn't that interested right, yet. Right. So we're, we're learning and we're trying to pay attention to what the community is seeking. But we'll we'll argue those things. We'll talk out those things. And Evan is a. Is a Broadway star. He starred in many different uh, Broadway shows, in, including The Chorus Line and Parade, and uh, f- what some of the others. Uh, my I favorite did. year. He was he started, and so he's done a ton of things. And what's great about Evan as well is that his entire family of friends, of people of Broadway, are people of uh, right. of this community. So the creative people we bring in, the musical directors, those folks, and. What's exciting is Evan and Dylan met when Dylan was between 12 and 13 years old on a national Broadway tour of the play on Golden Pond, starring Tom Bosley and Michael Learned. Evan was one of the stars of that show. He played the dentist. Going back to uh, 2006. So it's a really crazy, small world. Yeah. But if we had not met Evan, I don't know. It would have been very interesting. It would have been a whole different experience. And a number of people that are part of our staff, I don't want to go through everybody, but I'll give you one or two other anecdotes. Marty Rubin, our di- director of sales. You met Marty, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> we were at a, we, we we were at a, uh, a networking a networking event, event in got uh, uh, six years ago, whatever, five six years ago. And at the end of the meeting, this big guy starts walking right to me, and he and I'm saying, "Don't!" That guy looks like he's coming my way, and he he goes, "Are you Mark Perlman?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "The Mark Perlman." I look at my son. I go, "Do I owe this guy money? What's going on here?" <laughs> he goes, "Marty Rubin." Queen's College Baseball and starts hugging me. We played in Queen's College Baseball team together 25 years or whatever oh, it was wow. earlier, maybe 30, wow. who knows. Wow. And he's, he's been with us
2: ever since he, he had experience in the industry, he's been our Director of Sales, essentially from that meeting forward. And, and he's uh, brought in other people, other professionals in the yeah, advertising marketing right. field and printing. And his passion, it's unparalleled, we're passionate guys of course, but yeah. he's, got yeah. an, he's just got an energy on a different level, it's incredible unless um, we the, had enough Dan, time to go through the everybody about, Dan, You know, who, who, who had managed the movie theater prior to the closing so all these people that ended up uh, coming into the fold for us that each in their own
0: way brought something invaluable to the team right. and, and we have Babylon locals we have locals that usher and we have in uh, concessions and things we have Ben Stein the house manager whose father's uh, Norden Siegel, has been around forever they've sponsored shows he's He's so committed to the theater. We've got Kate Keating, our educational and uh, summer camp director. There's another title. I forgot the whole title. But she's, uh, you know, everything children's theater, which we have a wonderful children's theater program. And she's local now. And so um, our technical director lives down the road in Lindenhurst. So we are very much a a Long Island-based and Babylon uh,
1: community. That's that's great. And I, I believe in that. I believe that sometimes when you have a vision and you like people show up it is funny the timing like you showed up at that networking event and you know it's not an accident that's that's maybe another show
2: <laughs>
1: but that's good so what are the what are the resources and it's saying so we talked about the finance and the IDA the village there, there, were, there were a lot of resources and you just mentioned people that showed up and and participate in your day to day is there anything else that other any other resources that
2: Well, listen, I can plug the Babylon IDA all day. And we spoke about it uh, yesterday when we were having our preliminary call before the the podcast recording today. Meeting and getting to know and getting to work with the people at the Babylon IDA was invaluable for us. I joked yesterday, if you guys want, I'll do a commercial for you. I'm, I'm more than happy because, seriously, the work that you guys do is so valuable for the community. And, like, Mark joked before, my dad joked before, that... He, didn't, he hadn't heard of the IDA right. Prior, right. prior to this project right. and between, obviously, the incentives from a financial standpoint, the tax incentives you're able to offer, but really the, the doors you're able to open, uh, the fast-tracking of things that you're able to accomplish for businesses that are trying to do good work and that have a vision and that are going to be looking to add jobs and invest in the communities, right. I can't say enough good things about oh. how invaluable you guys were, to our project, happening.
0: And, and it's a lot of pressure on you guys because <laughs> you gotta, your, your batting average is evaluated. Right. Because, you know, you're taking risks. Right. You're having to decide what companies we support, which ones and how much and how do we do this. And you take, you know, I don't know, you know, every municipal organization takes a certain amount of flack every now and then. What are you doing? Absolutely. And all this other kind of stuff. So we were ex- extremely proud and, and, and appreciative that you guys, and that's awesome. Know, look at and, us that and, way.
1: and again, I, I look at what you guys created again—the the passion. And if you don't know Dylan and Mark, very passionate guys, and, and there's a, uh, no accident why they're having the success they are. And that's good because I got to tell you, it is so important to get our message out there because of what we do, and you know, and not to get into just about the Ida, but sometimes it's like limited coverage. You know, it's about just a tax benefit we gave and and the three jobs created. I'm kidding, but it's really the multiplier effect. Maybe 100%. we could talk about that a little yes. bit as well, far as what you guys have meant to the community. And you know, you talked about you're hiring some local people, but
2: right, you have some places that it's a dinner and a show and and all of those types of things. So absolutely, and I think from from the standpoint of the employees, obviously that's a big piece of it. The fact that. The building was vacant before, oh, and now yeah. there's a business there, and we're employing right. people from the community. Right. Um, obviously, one of the, one of the central pieces uh, from an economic development standpoint was we're bringing in business to, to the community here. What was pretty amazing, especially when we started, was most of the businesses in the community here looked at us as a complementary business as opposed to a competitive business. Right. Sure. Because if you're coming to see a show at the Argyle Theatre... You're going to go to dinner first. Or maybe you're going to walk around and go, go to some of the shops. Absolutely. And so having that is, I think, invaluable for any community. It's why you see on a lot of main streets and downtowns how important to have a venue is. Yep. So, you know, when you, when you look at and you calculate the, the millions of dollars that has gone out into the community and been spent. I joke, even on the days where we don't have a show, when our staff goes out for a lunch break... When we were vacant two years before. And
0: that's on a day where we don't have several hundred people coming to a show. Right, Right. We have Tech Week, we have 50 people in the theater, and they take their breaks, their lunch break, their dinner break, and then by the way, they get really excited too about the fact that the the, uh, community starts to recognize them and appreciate them and say, good job, man. Hey, I saw you last Friday night, performance was great. But, But one very funny thing is, as you're explaining that, I said, there have been a number of times on a Friday or Saturday before a show, I need to have some dinner and I can't get a table because the place is full. And I didn't reserve it, and I'm not going to bust chops. And so I just got a kick out of that because yeah. I'm looking, I'm going, these people are coming to the show. That's okay, I don't Well, care. that's a good <laughs> thing. That's yeah. a good thing. Um,
2: and, and, and in terms of just going back to resources and what the IDA has, has done, so many of the things that really helped and were integral to us getting the project off the ground, um, the Empire State Development, we, you know, this was early on, but having an Empire State Development grant to help us right. get the renovations completed, uh, PSCG, you made introductions uh, to the PSEG Economic Development team Great for us, right. and we had an invaluable partnership with them. We put in an all LED lighting system into the theater, which wasn't, you know, lately is is being done more and more. But most right. of the theaters that were built a long time ago, that's only a recent thing because right. we were only renovating, you know, what what is it, now, three four years ago. The technology had advanced enough that we could do it and still maintain the best quality production. So all of those things, I credit a lot of it to you guys here at the yeah, IDA of, of helping us get to those people. Create those resources. What, what's helps. interesting
0: at PSEG, they sought us out. Right. I got a voicemail one day, and I and I didn't know. I said, I can't believe this. Okay, you got to hear this. And we made an appointment, gentlemen, and they were looking for a, an abandoned space that had high energy needs in a community that would be benefited from the yeah, they have they have program, program. Right. Yeah.
2: and we, and Their we Main were the, Street Revitalization Program yeah. which yeah. I know now is rolled out we were the pilot we were the post project right. and uh, I know they're rolling out now they they have a, a vacant space project and a Main
0: Street Revitalization project and it uh, listen it's great but I got to throw one other piece in because people sometimes make uh, assumptions that Dylan and I either have all kinds of silent investors or that we're <laughs> So, you know, independently wealthy, I come from millions of dollars and all that. I want people to know that if they do things the right way, they can achieve certain things. I did not come from money. My dad was a pharmacist who worked in a, in a, in a shop, right? became a Pathmark eventually. I worked as a school psychologist, my wife is a special education teacher. I did have a private practice, I still have a private practice in psychology. That and he works very that's very another show. That's another right. show. No. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I was a camp director of Horizon Day Camp at New York Tech for right. 27 summers. You're looking at a worker. But none of these things were bringing in enormous amounts of money. Now my point was, I was the person who put money into my tax deferred annuity when I could. And over a 30 year period, that is really what allowed us to purchase the building wow. and to have the renovations. And, and by the way, I also have to thank my brother Barry, who, when we were really having a difficult time,
2: number Early one, on. when
0: our, we have four HVAC units, and one was go it was, went under during the winter. And at one, one show I actually said, I know this is, a, um, we're doing Harry Connick Jr.'s Elf. And I'm on stage introducing the show. And I said, listen, folks, I want you to feel like it's North Pole. This is so, a 4D so experience. Keep your it's jackets on. Experience. And, you know, I'm not, you know, we don't have, a, we don't have an HBC, But we, he ended up helping. We us. had two
2: units go down.
0: I remember. He the purchased same time. It. They had to pull it out with a crane and drop in this 20-ton yep. unit. And thank you, Dr. Barry Perlman, my dentist brother. <laughs> he does happen to have more money than I do. <laughs> um, and he did help, and he helped out some other ways. So, so just want to point that out that... You know, people sometimes make those assumptions, right. and when they start saying, you know, why do you need some government help, and why does this, you know... Um, incentives, and all yeah, these things. just a little, a little... Uh, What's well, a lesson for people out there. Work lesson, really yeah. hard, and, and I'm
2: proud of you for, oh, obviously, look, your whole life, working as hard as you have, and it's, it's a, you, you're a role model. No, no, yeah,
1: so, and you can't see this right now, you know, I'm talking to the listeners, but they're hugging. Right. Oh. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, so, <laughs> we don't hug all that So, often. yeah, no, I'm kidding. But, um, <laughs> so, you guys are getting traction, right? You come in, you go through that experience of renovating, and, and again, you, watching what you did there is tremendous, and taking the tour that you took us on. Like, even again, the three-story dressing rooms was like, wow. Uh, you thought of everything. Picking up momentum, COVID-19 hits. Ooh. You have to be sitting there looking at each other saying, are you kidding me? You know, and, and I know there was some serious issues with COVID-19. People, lost, they were lost lives and things like that, but tough times. Maybe you can kind of walk us through some of those days. And
0: Well, the first thing I would say is we look at pre-sale tickets for each show as they, they come up. And we were anticipating Cabaret to get a big bump. But the problem was, it was starting March 11th or 12th or whatever it was, just as COVID was coming in in this wave, and we're looking, and the tickets are, we're not selling tickets, and we are starting to get panicky because we have to pay bills. So couple that with the fact now the actors are starting to panic, people want refunds, people don't want to come, right. and we have other shows that are coming up, and I, oh, I think at I, that I, point it's surreal. At that us. point
2: in time, you know. You just, you can't predict the future. You have no idea what's going to happen. So, like you said, you're building traction. You're getting notoriety. Great third season. You're building this patron base, this incredible, loyal fan base. And we have just announced our third season, our third year lineup. We have cabaret opening March 12th of 2020 on a Thursday night. Now, at this point, the week prior, I believe, was when the governor put Broadway at 50% and then it was dropped even even lower and at this point in time we're still attempting to operate at whatever level we could because right. there is no alternative the world hasn't or I should say the country at this point hadn't shut down fully right. yet right. and we don't know what to expect and then March 14th or 15th hit and 15th the, shut- was the, the, the shutdown order came and it was you guys are done you know you right. close up shop I remember uh I think Suffolk County Police came in. They said, "As of tomorrow, you guys are no one's coming to the building. You guys are you guys are shut down." Right. And uh, and look, couple that with everyone's scared. People didn't know what was going on. Oh no! Yep. It was It was it was crazy, and it was panic, and, and it was chaos. And so we are dealing with all of our our staff, all of our customers, trying to figure out okay, what's the best path forward? I mean, two weeks to slow the spread. Clearly, that didn't happen. Right, and right. and so. In the beginning, you're trying to make plans, and it's okay, a couple weeks. All right, we'll be back open in May. And then at a certain point, you
0: realize... No plans. We're, we're in this for the long We're looking part. at refrigerators at, at the local hospitals, and we're hearing about people we know now, or their parents or their relatives. Yeah. Old people, young people, uh, healthy people. It was... People, we were, are, you can't get you can't get toilet paper. You can't get paper towels. You can't. Where are you going to get a mask? All, all this stuff. I mean, it was almost like the gas rationing from million yeah, no, years it ago. Was, it was But you, it was that that one period. It's like, like a bad movie. You, serious. You yeah. know, you go to BJ's and you say no paper towels, no yeah. toilet paper. you, yeah. got, you know, stuff and, like that. And
2: then again, from a business standpoint, you're, you're watching those those two years when we were open, climb and climb and climb and climb. Yeah. Yeah. And you fall off a cliff. You fall off a cliff. And and you look and you say. Okay, we just did, what, 1% of what you did, the you know, 1% of, of what you did right. in your second year, right? And we were obviously still growing at that point. So, it, unbelievably scary, and, and, you know, you try to do everything you can to, to help support your employees. Um, we were
0: fortunate. A number of them got decent jobs, pretty decent jobs to hold you know, in their, their industry and some are going to keep them and still and, work. And, yeah. of course, look, the government at, at federal level, at state level, they're doing what they can
2: throughout mm-hmm. to pump out. Obviously, there's politics involved there, um, but it was was chaos in the beginning, and then at a certain point, it sort of sinks in that, okay, we're in this for the long haul. We need to do everything we can to survive this period and be able to then come back, come back strong, because, you, you know... In our yeah. business, you have to be eternal optimist, yeah because you've got to be crazy to get into something like this and, and that's what I, this that's, project. that was
0: one of the first things Evan told us our, our artistic director <laughs> he says, you, you got are you serious guys you got to be crazy I yeah. will never forget that you um, definitely need a set and
2: and uh, you just you look and you say, okay, hunker down survival mode get you know and and try you got to keep the building maintained you have to you have to keep your communication lines open i mean. I think we are incredibly uh, grateful that, that our, our patron base, yes, so many, let us hold our tickets. We, you guys are come back. We're going to come see the shows when you reopen. That's awesome. And that's, I mean, unbelievably heartfelt and, and heartwarming yeah. to, to get that from, well, from the sh- fans. It tells a
1: lot about you guys, too. That's unbelievable. And I think your industry would probably, you know, you looked at... You would like like you, we were talking before with the phases when they went through the phases of
2: opening. Your phase was pushed all the way. We had no face. The yeah, there was no phase. <laughs> we, were, we, we have to get this under control right. before
0: we can even. But, it was but, but, it, but it was. but that's where they were. There were a couple of you know. Again, when we think about the, the the sequence of things, obviously the the vaccines coming through was huge. I mean, if they didn't have the vaccines, who know that, knows how long we were taking. And then the organization in New York, uh, it seemed like. I think it went pretty well if, if, if you wanted it, the shots. And I think most New Yorkers have been pretty good. Our numbers are pretty good. Right. Our numbers, as far as hospitalizations and deaths and things, have dropped dr- dramatically. And so people's confidence is dramatically different. Um, so we saw this whole sequence. With us, it was kind of like almost like um, playing a game. Okay, it's now May. Okay, when, is it gonna, when, when are we going to go to the next? When are we going to go to the next? And then boom. But we're also watching other industries very closely. You're yeah, watching sports. sports. You're watching
2: all the different entities. You're watching schools. All of these different industries know, sure. and how, how far along they are. And we knew we would be the first to close and the last to reopen. You know, and, and a lot of industries got hit really hard. I, th- I think you're hard-pressed to find an industry that got hit worse than indoor live entertainment. Huh. Where people are congregating. Right. It's the exact right. thing that we're encouraged for a year not to do. Right. And so we now look, and we have tremendous optimism, I think, I, I was quoted in Newsday maybe three months back saying, I really think we're in for the next Roaring Twenties. And I think we, we, as, we all joked about it going into 2020, about how great this decade is going to be, but I think now we're actually going to see it. Yeah. And if you look back, they, they talk about how in uh, 19, 18, maybe 1918 19. we had the sp- that Spanish flu, yeah. right? And then it, it, it went into the Roaring Twenties. Well. I got to tell you, it's got to be. I mean, I just
1: speak it personally. Yeah. You want to get out? I mean, people, right? We we've sat home. We, I mean, it was nice at to, to a certain degree. You know, I had one guy who said he took a job just so he can leave. You know, he took a job to get out. He, out of house. he was retired to get out of the mm-hmm. house. But anyway, <laughs> and and I got to tell you, how what a great story as far as that you're sitting here today and and you you we're at this point. You guys deserve a lot of credit for that. Let's let's move forward now. Let's right so that because that was. That really was an ugly time for a lot of people, but again, especially for your industry. But what got us looking, too, is started seeing some action across the street. Yeah. Started seeing some different things going up on the, the billboard there, and um, what can we look forward to? What, what can the community look forward to, and how's the Argyle Theater?
2: What? Let's start talking I, about that. I, let's get into it. I do want to just take one moment, because I, I would be remiss to say, as devastating as it was for our industry, we're, we're sitting here and we're alive, you know, and, and so... Look, I know a lot of people weren't so lucky. So industries, business hurt. But the day, workers. We're alive. I thank the first responders. Thank people. Everybody who was involved getting us through this. And future. now, thank God, because of that, we can look ahead to the future. Great and, great. A, and a great future we have coming up. We, we finally have announced our reopening. And, and, and we're back. That's right. And, awesome. I, and, and, so, uh, and the, the response
0: has been tremendous from people who are, like you said, we got to get out. We got to get back to life. So I'm going to tell them July 17th, which happens to be my father's birthday, he's been gone for a long time, but he'd be really happy, we're bringing back Joplin's Pearl, tribute to Janice Joplin, we had her here once before, Amber Ferrari, she's fantastic, she has a great band, and she puts on a great show, so she's who we're opening with, and then I don't know everything by heart in terms of the order, but we've got four different Long Island Comedy Festival nights with different comedians, Uh Uh, we work closely with Paul Anthony, and... um, We've got an improvisational comedy show, LMAO. I can't (laughs) say what that stands for, but um, LMAO (laughs) Improv Comedy. They're they're Manhattan-based, but they're going to be coming out. We are going to have Ray Negron is coming back. Bat Boy Returns, the former Yankee Bat Boy, who is a Babylon Village resident, uh, has been here for a while with Terry Bunger, and she uh, Ray's going to be here putting on his... One-man show with 15 people. You'll understand when you see the show. Okay. Um, And uh, it's going to be exciting. He tells his his story with the Yankees. He basically has been with the Yankees for over 40 years, and he started out as a bad boy in a most unusual way. And ironically, Ray and I have our own story, because we go back close to those 50 years because of baseball. I'll leave it at that. We've got uh, Nicky Torres, a tribute to Gloria Estefan for some Latin music. We've got... Hillary and Mike Epstein with uh, Fleetwood Macked. We're having them back for the third time. And Refuge. I'm sorry, Tom Petty. For the third time, they've been fantastic, so, so we've got some rock music and coming a, out. A, a really
2: exciting one is oh, yeah. August 14th. We, we've we been looking to put this together for a while. We began once we knew we'd be able to reopen, reaching out to a lot of the former stars of our productions. We're, we're going to be having an, an evening with the stars of the Argyle stage where a select group of the stars of our shows are coming back, and they're going to be doing songs from the production that they were in at the theater. Some other songs they like, and they're all so happy to come back and, oh, and awesome. help get the theater reopened. And I think for for our patrons who had come and seen shows, it's going to be really cool to see those those favorite characters come back and play on stage. That's exciting. We also are close to uh, booking a back to Broadway night where we're actually going to be having stars of current Broadway shows that are coming back this fall, they're coming out to do their last hurrah concert prior to going back to their show. Okay. So we can't quite say which stars yet. We're yeah. locking that up. Okay. Uh, and and then all of this leads into this fall, September 17th. We're going to be reopening Cabaret, which is the musical we had to close after right, four right. performances back in March of 2020. And, you know, we're, we're very glad we were able to reschedule our season that we had announced prior to having closed, and that starts off with Elf the Musical in in the holiday season this year, with, uh, you know, based on Will Ferrell's Buddy the Elf, and uh, in musical form, and then just a a, a slew of wonderful shows we have. We're actually, we have a world premiere, an original musical called Punk Rock Girl, coming in January and February. It is the first original production we're doing, first time ever being performed, and it's a story, and it's taken all the music of the female-led punk uh, pop bands of the last 20, 30 years.
0: Well, I think it even goes to the 80s, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, even the to the 80s. 80s. So,
2: you know, Pat Benatar, to Paramore, to Avril Lavigne, and uh, it's it was composed by Long Island's own Joe Iconis, who, Tony, uh, Be More Chill, just unbelievable. He's got a real, he's got a... a great great resume. resume. A lot of men had a uh, lot of people. From the metropolitan area, we're bringing in Mama Mia in the spring. We will have Buddy, Buddy. the Buddy Holly story, great. which for a lot of the folks who came out and saw Million Dollar Quartet, which was a great production, we had you know a year before COVID hit. It's an incredible show because the actors on stage are actually playing the music live. Awesome. Yeah. So it's a last really cool
0: year, well. I was last year, two years ago. I guess I have to always keep saying we did Million Dollar Quartet, and it was uh, you know it was one day in in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Was it Nashville or Memphis? I Memphis. Think? Memphis, okay. Tennessee, that's right. Where Elvis, Johnny Cash, and uh, Carl Perkins, and Jerry Lee Lewis all jammed out together. And it, was a, it turned out to be an incredible show, very successful show. Right. And one thing about that show, it was the one show that the population in the audience was probably as close to 50-50 male-female as we could have so far. So Buddy Holly... We think that might be a show that more males are going to be saying, come on, let's go. I want to see Buddy Holly. <laughs> go get the tickets. Yeah. You know, and, so, and, and, and we think it's going to be a great show. We, we have
2: Footloose next summer. So a year from now, we're going to be having Footloose run for the summer. And, and, then, the
0: one. and then the sixth show, which is coming in the fall, American in Paris. And if those of you old timers who remember whoever watched Turner Classic Movies, the Gene Kelly, Leslie Caron, Louis Jardin, uh, music uh, from George Gershwin. It's an incredible story. It's comedic. It's poignant, it's touching, and it is unbelievable dance. Just picture Gene Kelly, at his best, and so on our stage, the dancing is gonna be amazing, the music's gonna be amazing, and we're super excited to close the season with American in Paris. It, it's that's set cool. in Paris right after World War II. Right. So it's, it's just an incredible
2: story, and uh, we just can't wait to get back at it. That's get right. back that's to that's producing old- shows. So that leads me to, guys,
1: if Let's tell the listeners they want tickets, they want to come out to the show. How, how can they get to give us some information okay. as far as how they can get in touch with you?
2: Absolutely. So, websites, argyletheater.com. They can go to argyletheater.com. Um, our box office, the number is 631-230-3500. That's six three one two three zero three five zero zero, And we'll
1: put this up in our notes. But I got to tell you guys, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy that you're back. I look forward to supporting you. And you're going to promise me we're going to come back. And like we said, maybe we can come over. We'll do a live awesome. podcast. Over at the theater, maybe we'll go a little video and uh, kind of show people a little bit what's going on on the inside of the Argyle Theater. Uh, again, I want to thank Mark and Dylan Perlman for being here.
0: Thank you so much for having us. We're, we're, we're thrilled to be here. It was fun to go down memory lane, and it was also exciting to go forward. And I just would want to end by saying, live theater, the way that people react, whether they're laughing or crying or frightened or touched or associating to some other experience, there's nothing like it. And we, we get to see the shows over and over again. I don't get tired of them. It's amazing. I, I've watched certain shows 20 times. Right. I don't watch them 35, but right. i watch them many, <laughs> many, many times. And that's the one thing that we so look forward to when the, when the patrons come and they see the show. And maybe at the uh, intermission they pop out and they ask questions and they're telling us things. And then after the show when we see the reactions. And that's, that's well, priceless. That ties right into, I'd say, the,
2: the biggest message for me. Chase your dreams. No matter what it is, chase your dreams, whether it's in business, in life, in in a particular talent of yours. Chase your dream. Be smart about it. Work hard. Take calculated risk. Don't live your life and just go through it. I wish I did this. Exactly. The last thing you're going to do, I heard a great great quote, when you're you're lying on your deathbed, you're going to be thinking about all the things you didn't do, not all the things you did and failed.
1: Right. Again, Mark, Dylan. Thank you so much for being here. Again, my name is Tom Dolan. You've been listening to Economically Speaking. Have a great day.
0: This episode of Economically Speaking Podcast was brought to you by the Town of Babylon IDA. To find out more information about today's topic, our guest, or to simply stay connected,
2: please visit the show notes where you'll find all the relevant links.